Good afternoon. It is a blessing to be here today. Uh, certainly God's design for his church, for the assembly, uh, is a great gift that he has given us. And I, I hope we can experience the fullness of that blessing uh, today in our, our time together. Over the next few weeks, I, I want us to spend some time considering the Bible's teaching about church leadership and, and local church organization. How does God want us to function as a local church? What is his design for our organization? What structures has he set in place to help his body work and grow in the way that he intended? And one thing that I hope we can make abundantly clear uh, throughout this series of studies is that local church organization and leadership is not man's idea. It's not something that, that we're going to look to worldly wisdom or, or earthly business models or, or uh, governing models of, of democracy to, to determine how we are going to function as a local church. Because the church is not a business. It is a family. It is a flock, a body, and a temple. And its builder, its chief shepherd, its head is Jesus Christ. And so if we want to know how we are supposed to function, we are going to have to let Jesus himself define what church leadership should look like. We're going to have to let him show us the blueprint for our organization as a local church. And so over the next three Sundays, we are going to be talking, first of all, today about shepherds, those who are entrusted with souls. I think we'll see as we look through the biblical description of them. We'll also talk about deacons next week, Lord willing, those who have been entrusted with a ministry or with a task. And then finally, we'll talk about evangelists, those who are entrusted with the gospel. Now, if you're at all familiar with the, the family here, you know that we only have one, one of those roles in, in place. Um, at this time. But our prayer is that as we mature and grow, we may develop uh, men to be shepherds, to be deacons as well. And, and the only way that that's going to happen, though, is if we start thinking about it and talking about it and praying about it, most important of all, uh, now. It's not going to happen by accident. It's going to have to be something that we are purposefully thinking about and, and working on as we continue to grow as a congregation. And so I hope that these sermons will be helpful unto that end. I appreciate the Jason reading uh, that, that short passage from Hebrews 13 for us. There, there it just uses the word leaders, but I think we'll see that its description is exactly what we're going to be talking about as we talk about shepherds or elders throughout the scripture. Those who have been entrusted with souls, with the flock itself. Uh, but there are many different words or, or names used to describe this role of, of shepherds. I, I think shepherds is the one that, that I prefer to use, uh, and I'll explain why uh, in a little bit. But I think all of these different terms tell us something about this role that God has designed within his church. So what are shepherds? First of all, we see the word elder, um, which comes from the Greek word presbyteros, which is where we get the word presbyter as well. Um, you, you may be familiar with that, the Presbyterian 
church. And what, what they've done is their church organization is based on uh, a gathering or a council of elders um, that, that come together as almost governing delegates to a, a common body. Now, what we'll see is that we don't see elders having any authority outside of a local flock within the scriptures. Uh, but that does come from this word presbyter, or what might more commonly be translated elder. We see this word in Acts chapter 14, verse 23. And when Paul and Barnabas went out on their first missionary journey, on their return journey, uh, in verse 23, it says that they appointed elders in every city, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia. Also in Acts chapter 20 and verse 17, when Paul makes a stop in Miletus, he calls for the elders of the church in Ephesus. And we see he comes in and talks to them there in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul says that he left Titus in Crete in order to appoint elders in every town there. So we see this talked about many times in this word elder is used. And I think elder tells us something about the, the character and the spiritual maturity of this man. It simply means um, an older individual. However, it really harkens back to the local governance of cities in ancient Israel. And we can see this even if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 21 and 22. It talks about how certain uh, judicial matters were be were to be taken care of in the city gate by the elders of that city. And they would often do business and take care of, of local uh, issues, judicial issues in the gate of that city. In fact, we see that happening in the book of Ruth, in Ruth chapter 4, where Boaz comes to the elders at the city gate to determine if he is going to be in a position to, to marry Ruth. And in Proverbs 31, where we talk about this industrious woman, uh, it says that her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. So this, this was a common practice in the ancient world that the elders of a city had some authority in that community to help that community uh, be taken care of. And so this word elder really kind of harkens back to that idea. Elders... Uh, were simply re respected older men of a community given authority to take leadership in the lo local governance of a city or town. And yet in this case, that term is being used to apply to the community of Christ, uh, to a local community, a, a local body of God's people. Um, but these shepherds are to be those older, respected leaders within a congregation but also we see the word overseer or some translated bishop used throughout the scripture. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, it talks about uh, how Paul is writing to the saints in Philippi with their overseers and deacons. Uh, also in 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 and 2, Paul tells Timothy the qualifications for overseers. And in Titus 1, we already mentioned Titus was told about appointing elders, but just two verses later, as he describes these qualifications for elders, he switches terms and he starts calling him an overseer. So we're talking about the same individual here, but whereas elder describes something about his character and maturity, 
overseer describes something uh, about the authority and responsibility that has been entrusted to these men. He has a responsibility to watch over the souls entrusted to his charge, and he will, as we see in Hebrews 13, give an account for the spiritual health and growth insofar as he is able to ensure their proper nourishment uh, and protection. This word overseer comes from the Greek word episkopos, uh, and you may be familiar with hearing churches called Episcopalian churches. Um, really, that comes from this idea of episkopos or bishop, uh, and they are governed by some type of hierarchy of bishops. Uh, again, that's not what we see bishops being referred to in the scriptures. They have a, a local authority, uh, and yet any Episcopalian church would have a structure very similar to the Catholic church but it's based on this word episkopos or overseer. And so whereas elder tells us something about their maturity and character, we see overseer tells us something about their authority and responsibility, but the word shepherd, or we also see the word pastor, uh, the same word just translated differently, uh, is used to describe something about the nature of the work itself. We see in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, it says that Christ gave gifts to men, appointing some, to, uh, giving some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some shepherds and teachers. Uh, some versions will say, and pastors and teachers. But we know that this is talking about the same individual as the overseer and the elder, because when we go to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, when Paul called those elders from the church in Ephesus to speak with them, uh, as he describes their responsibility, he tells them in Acts 20 and verse 28, take heed to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So these elders are taking care of the flock, and they are also made to be overseers. All three of those ideas are used of this same role, these same individuals. Also in 1 Peter 5 and verse 2, as Peter is writing to his fellow elders, he uses the verb form here. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Later on, he says, exercising oversight. There's the idea of overseer. So those three ideas are all talking about the same individual. We don't have a, a separate, you know, we have a, a pastor and then we have an elder and then we have a bishop. That, that's not what we see in the scriptures. All of these are describing different aspects of the same role. But I, I like using the word shepherd because I think it reminds us what this work is intended to be. And we need to be reminded of the other things as well, the maturity and character, the authority or responsibility. But shepherd not only defines this for us, it gives us a good mental picture of the work that an elder and overseer is to be taking on. You see that this is not a business manager. Uh, this is not a government delegate. This is not uh, somebody who, who's working on a committee making decisions about the, the finances or the, or the marketing of the church. This is not a business model that we're talking about. This is a caretaker of souls, of individuals, watching over the sheep and providing for their health and well-being as a flock. That's our picture. And if we want to understand what the role of a shepherd is and was, I think 
Perhaps one of the best passages we can turn to is Ezekiel chapter 34. If you want to turn to the the book of Ezekiel, um, right after Jeremiah and Lamentations, right before Daniel, Ezekiel chapter 34, and I want us to read verse 1 through 6. And why I think this passage is so helpful as we think about the work of a shepherd is here God is speaking against what he calls the shepherds of Israel, their, their leaders. And he is rebuking them for what they have not done and what they were intended to do as shepherds. And so as we see this description of what they were intended to do, I think we see what the work of a shepherd truly is supposed to be. So Ezekiel chapter 34, starting in verse 1, says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. What is it that these shepherds were failing to do? Well, first of all, you notice there at the end of verse 2, he says, should not shepherds feed the sheep? That's a rhetorical question. Of course, it is the responsibility of the shepherds to make sure that the sheep are getting the nourishment that they need. As we think about the local church, I think many times we think of the, the, the preacher or the evangelist as, as being the one who has the, the primary responsibility to make sure that a flock is fed. And certainly there's no doubt, as we look at the evangelist in two weeks, uh, we'll see throughout the book of 1 Timothy, as Timothy is described as an evangelist, a great deal of his work was internal. As he was teaching the gospel, he was to be encouraging and building up those brethren. But when it comes to a local flock, we see the primary responsibility is for the shepherds to be feeding the sheep. That they are responsible for the spiritual nourishment that these sheep, that these souls are receiving. And so it's not just that, that the elders are making the decisions about how much they pay the preacher and then he's going to take care of making sure they're fed. Uh, there's a reason that shepherds we're going to see later are supposed to be apt to teach or able to teach. Not just so that in the remote possibility that he might need to, he can teach, but so that he can be equipped for the work of shepherding, of feeding the sheep. And notice as well here in verse 4, he says, The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. Shepherds need to be strengthening and healing and binding up and seeking out and bringing back. That is the work of a shepherd. 
they have a responsibility to protect the flock from spiritual danger. And where they see sheep are struggling and wounded, they need to be the first to reach out and help them be restored, help lift them up. This means that shepherds are going to be getting in the business of other people. They're going to be part of our lives. Just as that shepherd intimately knows his sheep, spends time out in the field next to the sheep, making sure that its needs are being provided for. A shepherd, an elder, can't just take care of the sheep by making decisions in some back room somewhere. The work is for him to be a part of people's lives and to be building them up, encouraging them, helping watch over their spiritual well-being because it is his business. It's not just my business. He's been entrusted with my soul, among others, that to make sure that as much as depends on him, I'm getting the spiritual nourishment and growing spiritually the way that I need to be. And so I think as we think about this role of elder, of overseer, I think maybe the word shepherd will best describe for us what this work is. It's not being entrusted with the treasury of the church, being entrusted with the resources of the church. It is being entrusted with the souls of the church. But why do we need shepherds? Do we need shepherds? Um, we, we see in Acts 14, there was a time where those congregations functioned prior to having appointed men as elders. Uh, and we here have, in fact, for, for several years functioned without shepherds. Do we actually need shepherds? I think we need to recognize that sheep without a shepherd is never a good thing. Now, certainly we have the chief shepherd. And we can cling to him. But God's design is that we have local shepherds. That is what his intent for the church is. And when Jesus in Matthew 9 and verse 36 looks out on the crowds and has compassion for them because they are distressed and dispirited as sheep without a shepherd, he's not describing a good situation. We need to recognize that there is a need for shepherds or else God wouldn't have designed for his local church church to have shepherds. It's true uh, that no shepherds is better than unqualified shepherds. No shepherds is better than shepherds as were described in Ezekiel 34 who weren't taking care of the sheep and who were simply feeding themselves. And so the last thing that we would want to do is appoint unqualified men to fill that role. And without shepherds, it is true that, that we can and must take on some of those responsibilities of, of making sure that collectively we together are feeding one another, that we are looking out for the spiritual well-being of one another. Even if we have appointed shepherds, that doesn't release us from the responsibility to be looking out for one another's souls and to be active in the, the feeding process. But we need to recognize that when we don't have shepherds, something is lacking. Shepherds are part of God's design for his church. Notice in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. Here Paul says to Titus, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking 
Or some versions say, what was unfinished, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Brethren, without shepherds, there is something lacking. There is something unfinished in the establishing of this church without shepherds. Because God's design is that we have that in place. And in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, we see Paul and Barnabas, when they go out on their uh, first missionary journey, they go out and they preach in Antioch, they preach in Lystra and Iconium. And then it says on their return journey, same trip, on their return journey, they come back through and they appoint elders in each of those churches. That, that's part of establishing a new work is appointing elders. And so we need to be thinking about that. We need to be growing in that direction because something is unfinished when we have not appointed elders. So that brings us to the question, who should be our shepherds? And for this, we will look at two passages. I, I would encourage you to turn maybe to either one or the other. If you want to mark one and keep your hand in the other, you can kind of turn back and forth. We're going to look at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Because both of these give us qualifications for what type of men these shepherds need to be. And we could spend a great deal of time going through each phrase, um, but, but for our purposes today, I want to take a more general approach. But I, I want you to notice there, there are two lists here, and they are not mirror copies of one another. I think there's a reason for that. It's because these are not intended to be treated as checklists, as kind of yes, no, black and white, um, either he is or he isn't. Uh, here, they, they vary slightly in their wording, and they're describing the same character. They're describing the same man, but it's, it's not just intended to, to be a bunch of checklist items here. And, and the danger is that when we begin to treat it like checklist items, we are tempted to gravitate towards the qualifications that are more concrete, maybe more easily given a yes or no answer. Is he the husband of one wife? Are his children faithful? You know, and, and then we kind of fail to think about all the others. But I think what we need to realize is even those qualifications that may seem to be more concrete still require some level of judgment. Uh, in fact, the idea of being the husband of one wife literally is, is he a one-woman man? If we were going to translate it literally. In fact, the NIV says, is he faithful to one wife? It's still not just a yes or no, yes, he is married, yes, he is not a polygamist. It, it is, is he faithful to his wife? We also see that this idea of him having faithful children that's described in a few different ways, which we'll talk about. But it's, it's not just, were, were his children baptized? You know, are, are, are they Christians? It's, has he raised his children? Well, what does this say about his character? There's still a judgment that needs to be made there, not just some checklist item. And so keep that in mind as we consider these together. If we were going to summarize maybe some of the different aspects that these qualifications refer to, I think, first of all, we see that this is uh, to be a man of integrity and influence. First Timothy 3, 
uh, tells us above reproach. It also says sober-minded, or some versions say temperate. Later on, it says respectable, respectable or of good behavior. And finally, it ends with well thought of by outsiders or of good reputation. Also in Titus 1, we see again that repetition of the idea above reproach, twice repeated in Titus 1, this idea of being blameless. It also says he must be upright and holy. Some versions say just and devout. Here we see this is to be a man who is known for doing the right thing, whose moral character deserves the respect of believers and unbelievers alike. A man whose influence will not be hampered by some significant moral stain, um, who doesn't have some lingering question of character. This is a man who is a man of integrity, upright, uh, and known for having that type of character by all who know him. But also, I think we could summarize some of these by saying he is a good-hearted man. 1 Timothy 3 says that he is to be hospitable, something that's repeated in Titus as well. We're told he's not to be violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Also in Titus 1, it says he's not to be arrogant. Some versions say overbearing or self-willed. He's not to be a quick-tempered man. It also says he is to be a lover of good. The Christian Standard Bible says he is to enjoy doing good. This is the description of someone who has a pure and loving and thoughtful heart. He is to care about people, not the least of which are the souls that have been entrusted to him as a shepherd would care for his sheep. Uh, he must not be somebody who would be apt to drive people apart, but somebody who can work effectively to bring people together. He must not be selfish, but selfless and humble in his service to others. And along with that, we see that he is to be a disciplined man. First Timothy 3 says self-controlled. Uh, both passages say not a drunkard. First um, Timothy 3 says not a lover of money. Titus 1 says not greedy for gain or pursuing dishonest gain. It also uses the word there, disciplined. And so he must be a man who has his passions under control and directed properly towards God and towards his people. He must not be enslaved or easily overtaken by any sin. His motives must be pure and God-centered, not distracted by fleshly or earthly pursuits. He's also, we see, to be a man who is a spiritual leader in his home. We already talked about this idea of him being the husband of one wife or a one-woman man. We are to be able to look at his marriage and how he has functioned in that relationship and see it as something that is commendable, something that, that would set an example for others. Also, he is, in verse Timothy 3, to manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Some versions say, keeping his children under control with all reverence, or one who is worthy of respect by his children. Titus 1 adds some to this idea. It says, having children who believe, or some say faithful children, not accused of debauchery or insubordination, not wild or disobedient. And so the basic principle here is not, you know, can we say that his children are Christians? Can we say that his children were baptized? The basic principle is what do his children reflect about his character 
and his ability to train up a child, to help that child spiritually grow into who they need to be. The primary point, I think, is found in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 5, when it concludes by saying, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Just as a shepherd with his sheep is a picture of what a, uh, an elder is to be towards the congregation, a father with his children is a picture of what an elder is to be to the congregation. That they are to be training up those uh younger than them in the faith. They are to be encouraging them, helping them grow as they are to be a spiritual leader of their home. They are to be a spiritual leader of the church. And so it's not just a yes or no thing. It's, it's some judgment that needs to be made of what do his children reflect about his character and his ability to do this work. And that brings us to our, our last point in this regard, that he is to be an equipped man. Somebody who is well um, suited for the work itself. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see that he is to be able to teach or apt to teach. Later on, it says not a new convert or a novice. There's a reason he's called an elder. He is to be somebody of spiritual maturity. Titus 1 goes further into this idea by saying uh, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught or in accordance with the teaching so that he may be able to give instruction or exhort in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict. He must be a man of knowledge and maturity that will not lead the flock into error, but will in fact prevent others from doing so. Standing firm in God's word and defending it against any attacks or perversions, he must be grounded in God's word and capable of feeding the flock with its nourishment. And so, it's not that as we look at these qualifications, we, we can just kind of, you know, say yes, no. Whoever this man may be, there is going to need to be some judgment. It, it's not just, well, is he sober-minded or is he not? Or, or is he self-controlled or is he not? Well, most of these qualities don't just happen on a yes and no basis. They, they happen on a, a scale that we're all growing in. And yet, this general description of the type of character, the type of maturity, the type of uh, ability and capability that this man needs to have is given to us for a reason. Because God intends men like this to be fulfilling this role of an elder, an overseer, a shepherd among his people. And so as we think about us as a flock, um, we need to be thinking about establishing ourselves as God designed that we be established. And it's, that takes time. Cer certainly, we, we recognize that uh, these things don't happen overnight. And yet, it shouldn't be the case that we just kind of ignore this part of God's design for us and think, well, we're, we're functioning just fine as it is. You know what? Let, let's not worry about that. The, the way that this is going to happen is by all of us thinking about these things, praying about these things, growing and developing that we can be established the way that God designed for us to be established. God wants his flock to have shepherds. But it's not going to happen by accident. It's going to happen by us thinking, talking, and most of all, praying about it. 
That's going to happen by us lifting up the hands of those who may be developing towards these rules. And so remember, this church does not need a board of directors. It doesn't need a business committee. It does need uh, a bunch of people ju- just solely making decisions about the physical things. We'll, we'll talk a little bit um, next time as we talk about deacons, that some, some of those physical needs of a congregation are, are really more to be entrusted to the role of, of deacons or servants within the church. But when we talk about the idea of shepherds, um, it's this idea of them being entrusted with souls. Those who, who will help feed the flock, those who will help protect the flock, um, and make sure that these souls are growing in the direction that we all need to be. And so let us resolve to do our part as we continue at this stage without shepherds. The, this work still needs to be done. We still need to be looking out for one another. So as we still need to be being nourished. Um, but let's not get used to it. Let's recognize that if the church is going to be established as God wants it to, then this is what he intends for us to be growing towards. Are you distressed and dispirited today? We, we don't have local shepherds that we can point you to, to, but more importantly, we have our Lord and Savior, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd that has laid down his life for the sheep. Thank the Lord that we can find comfort in him. Um, if there's anything that we can do to point you towards the good shepherd today, Uh, If you have any need that you need to make known before these brethren, that we can be praying for you, that we can be uh, encouraging you as as your fellowship, Uh, please, please let us know at this time as we sing together.